Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we are in week two of our Lenten sermon series called The Cross. And remember what we're doing in this series, which is all about preparing us for Resurrection Sunday, is examining and hopefully experiencing the horror and then the beauty of the cross by delving into how God took this instrument of torture and death intended to strike fear into the hearts of everyone who encountered it and actually transformed that into the very instrument he used to save our lives and save the world. And so last week, what we did to kind of put the cross into perspective or to actually understand and begin to experience the true nature of the cross is that we simply took some time to face the reality of the cross head on. We didn't beat around the bush. We didn't cover anything up. We just laid it all out on the table. And what we discovered in doing that difficult, gut-wrenching work is that the cross really is one of the most horrible ways a person could die. Because it's this instrument of death and destruction designed to cause people to suffer for hours and maybe even days as they slowly suffocate which in turn was done in this place for everyone to see as a kind of billboard proclaiming that this is what happens if you dare buck the system. This is what happens if you dare step out of line, or this is what happens if you proclaim yourself to be the king of the Jews. And it was absolutely horrible. But now that we've had a week to sit with this reality, or now that we've had some time to let the horror of the cross do some work in our lives, what I believe we need to do today to begin to get into what the cross has to teach us is to take a step back while keeping our crucified Lord in focus and to ask these two very important yet life-changing questions. What does the cross have to teach us about who we are? And what does the cross have to reveal to us about God? What does the cross have to teach us about who we are And then what does the cross have to teach us about our God? Which are actually questions that go hand in hand. Because to really understand what the cross reveals to us about just how amazing our God is and your minds will be blown, we first have to understand the disturbing reality that the cross teaches us about ourselves. Which which again means what we're talking about today is going to be hard and beautiful all at the same time. So, to try to bring all of that to light, what I have done is I have scoured through stories and and wrestling with this idea, how do I make the cross as real for you guys as possible given our context? Is there a story out there? Is there something that brings it to light that will help us to experience? And this is what I found. And I hope it really helps you. It's something that, that strikes me every single time I read it because this is way more like the cross than I think any of us would like to admit. So back in 1919, in Ellisville, Mississippi, there were two men accused of assaulting a woman. 
But these men, instead of facing a trial or having their fate decided by a court of law, as the law demands, were condemned to die without pleading their case. And the reason they were condemned to die without going through the court system is because these were two black men accused of a white woman of assault in the deep south. So there would be no trial for these men. And of course, what these two men do in response to this threat to their lives is they flee. Or they pack up everything, including their, their children and their wives, and they do everything that they can to get to St. Louis, Missouri. That, that's where they've got other friends and, and family. And they're successful at this. They get away scot-free. But for some reason, which we don't know, one of the men, John Hartfield, actually goes back to Ellisville, Mississippi, where eventually he's caught. And on the day that Mr. Hartfield was caught, Again, they didn't take him to jail to await a trial as was supposed to happen, but instead he, he was shot and then kept alive for the next 24 hours so that he could be executed in the town square for all to see. Then what the people of Ellisville, Mississippi, did to get word out about this execution is they put an announcement in the statewide newspaper that said this. And you guys will see this is actual copy of that paper. John Hartfield will be lynched by Ellisville mob at 5 o'clock this afternoon. John Hartfield will be lynched by Ellisville mob at 5 o'clock this afternoon. And then because of this advertisement, this small rural town of about 1,000 people in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, grew to about 10,000 people that day. Which, by the way, is not the only record we have of something like this happening. In fact, attending executions became a family outing, which included women and children for a whole lot of Southerners at that time, even getting to the point where photographers would set up a way to print postcards so that after pictures were taken and the postcards were made, you could get those postcards and send those to your family and friends who weren't able to make it that day. And then also to bring this reality a little closer to home, because we, we think of things happening like this in the Deep South, but not here in the Midwest. Well, according to a couple of our resident historians, there are records of at least two lynchings happening right here in Barton County, Kansas. Which goes to show that these kind of executions were more common than, than I think any of us really want to believe. So when it came time for Mr. Hartfield's execution, he was walked through a mob of angry people to the center of town where he was hung from a tree to the excitement and jeers of 10,000 people who came from all over the area to enjoy the show. And I wish I could tell you that after this man was executed, the crowd dispersed and went home feeling disgusted about what happened or that the state came in and made a whole lot of arrests. But that's not what happened. Instead, as John remained on the tree, people took pieces of him as souvenirs. Many from the crowd randomly shot the body to the point where it's estimated that his body was shot over a thousand times. And then, when someone accidentally shot the rope and the body fell to the ground, he was cremated, if you know what I mean. Which again, happened to the delight and cheering of thousands upon thousands of people. 
which is only made worse by the fact that no one was arrested or punished or had to answer for what happened on that evil day in Ellisville, Mississippi in 1919. So now that we have encountered this story, then I'm sorry, I've just I've beat you guys up the last two weeks with these horrible things, but I, but I think it's necessary. What I suspect is going on in your mind at this very moment is you're being filled to overflowing with all these difficult emotions and difficult questions. Or I'm sure there's some disgust and anger that wells up when you, when you think about a person being treated like this by other human beings. And then I'm sure there's a sense of disbelief that happens when you try to imagine 10,000 people showing up to cheer on something this evil, which is then made worse as a kind of sadness and fear overcomes you when you realize what human beings are actually capable of. Well, as you were feeling those emotions and wrestling with those questions, what I want you to see through this story, which has a lot of similarities with the cross, is what the cross has to teach us about ourselves. Because the difficult truth that the cross and the lynching tree have to teach us is that we are a fallen and sinful people who continue to choose to walk away from God or a people who are prone to think that we know better than God and so we go out and do what we want to do, convinced that we're right. Or even worse, we're a people who are really good at convincing ourselves that we are doing God's will when in reality all we're doing is evil in God's name, which is even worse. And in something that, that we're really good at seeing in others. We can point it out in others every single time. But we never take a moment to look at ourselves. And the result of all that sin, which is what the cross reveals to us, which is what the lynching tree reveals to us is the world as it is. A world that is full of division and hatred and selfishness and greed. Which are sins that when taken to their extreme lead to places like war. Holocaust, genocide, what happened to John Hartfield and so many others, but most importantly, what happened to Jesus as he hung from the tree? Or what the cross has to teach us about ourselves is that the cross, in a sense, acts as a kind of mirror reflecting back to us our sinful and fallen nature. Or reflects back to us what we are capable of if we choose a way other than God's way. Now, you would think, given all that we've talked about in the last two weeks when it comes to the reality of the cross and what happened to Jesus, and then what we've talked about with John Hartfield, that our God, who, who not only has a God's eye view of all the sin and evil and destruction that has ever happened in the history of the world, but has even suffered that firsthand by going to the cross, that our God would simply wash his hands of the human race and walk away from us. Because there seems to be no hope. I mean, for God's sakes, we tried to kill the very God who came into the world to save us. But amazingly, amazingly, and this is the good news we proclaim to the world. 
What we find when we gaze at the cross is this mirror that reveals to us who we are is at the same time we're able to see ourselves most clearly. That also reveals to us just how madly in love our God is with every single one of us and the lengths to which he is willing to go to show us that love even though we are who we are. Or as Paul in Romans 5, 6 through 8 explains, he says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Which means to our God, it really doesn't matter who we are. It really doesn't matter where we have been or what we have done, or even though, in a sense, we have participated in the crucifixion of our Lord. Because what our God has done is actually taken all of that. And instead of using it against us, instead of taking that and bringing revenge upon us for that very thing, he has taken that and saved us. Do you see that? So the cross represents all the sin, the evil, and death, and the weight of the world. And what he has done is he has taken the most despicable thing in the existence of the world. And instead of using that against us, instead of firing back because of that, he's like, I'm going to transform this and use this to show you my love. Because this is how much I love you. And then he saves us. Come on now. This is the good news we should be proclaiming to the world. So if anyone tells you that that God is this overbearing dictator who is mad and who wants to do horrible things to people who step out of line, this is the cross. He took that. He used that to bring about the salvation and the restoration of all things. And you guys just sit there. Oh, it's just unbelievable. So that's why we put crosses on our wall. That's why we wear crosses around our neck, right? It's this instrument of torture and death. It's despicable. But yet when we see it, we don't see that part. We see the salvation. We see the love. We see the miracle of resurrection. Or that is what the cross not only teaches us about ourselves, which is a reality we all have to face, but more importantly, that's what the cross has to teach us about just how incredible our God really is. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and again, the cross... Man, it's a weighty thing that we just kind of want to ignore. But now that we have faced it head on again, Lord, now that it has revealed to us our sinful and fallen nature, what we're capable of, help us to sit with that. But while we're sitting with that, help us also to see that that is the very thing that you used to bring about the salvation and the restoration of all things. Or that is the very thing that you used to show us your love. 
So Lord, help us to become a people who take seriously what it means to follow you day in and day out so that we don't live lives full of sin and corruption and death, but lives full of resurrection and hope and life. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.